0: Welcome to Perimenopology, where we explore and converse about what it means to transition out of the young, hot, fertile, and fuckable box that our society labels as most worthy when you were socialized as a woman. Around here, we're all about body literacy and talking about the topics that society tells us are unimportant or inappropriate. I'm Michelle Kapler, reproductive acupuncturist, Chinese medicine practitioner, and master feminist life coach, and you've got episode number 45. Hello. Hello, my friends. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Perimenopology. I usually use this time at the beginning of my episodes to talk about something I'm promoting or offering at the time. And if you want to hear more about that, you can head to the show notes. There's lots of free goodies to help you understand what perimenopause is, what to expect and how to navigate it. But in today's preamble, I want to talk about autumn. I live in Ontario, Canada, and we have four seasons here autumn is my favorite season. I do enjoy all of them for various reasons, but autumn is just the ultimate for me. I love Canadian autumn as this macrocosmic representation of and metaphor for the perimenopausal transition. In Chinese medicine, we think about our health and our lives and how both of these things are significantly influenced by our external environment, including the season that we're in fall is a time for transition and evolution. Some people think of it as a time that things start to shut down or become dormant or rotten after they've ripened. And this might be objectively true in some senses, but I think it's also an option to think about it as nature simply becoming the next version of itself. And to me, that's a lot more neutral and less charged. What if we could think about the aesthetic and functional changes in nature and in our bodies, not as the end of usefulness, value, and worthiness, but simply as the next step of our evolution? Just because we see aging and aesthetic change in both of these things doesn't mean that we need to discount the importance of the stage. There is wisdom and immense value when it comes to the life lived and experienced that has to occur to get to this point, whether you're talking about a maple tree or your human body. So just some food for thought. So today we're going to be talking about what to do when your expectations don't match your reality and outcomes during treatments. And this could be medical or otherwise. And what I mean by this is when you try an intervention or treatment option from anywhere across the vast spectrum of treatment options when it comes to addressing our perimenopausal symptoms. And we're also going to talk about what not to do. Of course, everyone is individual and their needs might vary when it comes to expectations. I also want to highlight that different people will have varying levels of accessibility when it comes to making choices for their health. Today, I want to give a few things to consider that I think might be applicable to anybody in the situation, which let's face it, is going to be all of us at some point in time. Because when you live in a human body, these dear, tender meat sacks with a brain and nervous system running through them, they don't always do what we want them to do when we want them to do it. And they often don't follow our plan and our agenda in the way we would like them to. So let's start with an example of how this comes up in clinical practice and with my coaching clients often, and that is sleep. Insomnia and sleep difficulties are the most common reason why people seek care in my perimenopausal clinical practice. For a huge spectrum of reasons during this time in life, people often experience an onset of insomnia where they were previously good sleepers, or they experience a worsening of sleep issues that had previously existed. And if you want to check out more about the common causes of insomnia in midlife, you can check out episode number 43 of the Perimenopology podcast. And of course, I'll put that in the show notes. In that episode, I go through in detail what the five most common causes are and what you can do about them. And because there's such a vast and varied spectrum of potential underlying causes that can keep you up at night, it can be a bit of a tedious process of trial and error to discover what might help somebody get better sleep at this time. Because we don't have the medical and diagnostic technology to instantly diagnose the cause of insomnia in a simplified and straightforward way, there is often a process of testing and ruling out and exploring various avenues of potential diagnoses. Are we up all night because of hormone changes? Is it hot flashes? Is it due to clinical depression? Is there an underlying medical condition like hyperthyroidism or sleep apnea? Is it a nutritional deficiency? A lot of people don't know that iron deficiency anemia can cause sleep disturbances for some people. Or is it a change in our external environment that we're not quite aware of? Or are we simply experiencing a lot of stress in life and that's what's keeping us up at night? And unless the insomnia is being caused by an actual diagnosable medical condition that can be definitively identified and treated, like sleep apnea, for example, solving sleep problems often looks like just trying a bunch of stuff and seeing what works. The underlying cause of insomnia is often diagnosed in hindsight because we stumbled upon the corresponding treatment and tried it and it worked, and there's your answer. And what this means is that we often have to try a bunch of stuff that doesn't work before we find the thing that does, which can often lead to the cycle of hope and disappointment as we navigate through the various treatment choices. Now, I think this is a good moment to give my usual rant when it comes to treatment choices, which is that there is no hierarchy of treatment options for anything that you're dealing with with your body. One option is not better than the other. There are all types of people who need care, who will come to the table with all sorts of values and priorities and varying levels of accessibility. So if you tell your friend that you are using some pharmaceutical medication and they tell you directly or indirectly that your choice is inferior or inappropriate because it's not the quote unquote natural route, know that one method is not better than the other. And conversely, if you want to try herbs and supplements first, that's okay too. There's no right way to do this. Different bodies will have different needs and there will be varying levels of accessibility and options for people. And most of the time, it's just about trying a bunch of different things and seeing what works. And in many cases, it ends up being a combination of a few things that ultimately provides a solution or maybe even just a little bit of relief. And all of that said, I always recommend consulting with a licensed, qualified, and experienced practitioner for all of your treatment recommendations. This might be a medical doctor, a functional medicine practitioner, or a naturopathic doctor, or maybe another allied health professional like a registered acupuncturist like me. Everybody's body is different and will likely require an individualized assessment to determine the right solution for your unique and individual needs. What worked for one person might not work for another, for reasons that are probably obvious to a trained and licensed practitioner, but might not be obvious otherwise. Please don't order supplements or herbs or medications from the internet without a consultation. These things are strong and they have effects, so you want to make sure that the effects you are getting are right for your body. Now, As I step off my soapbox, I want to talk about how to manage your mind around this process of hope, trial, and potential disappointment as you navigate finding the right thing for you and inevitably finding yourself in the situation where the treatment option you're currently trying doesn't work or maybe causes unwanted side effects or maybe even makes the original problem worse. If you suffer from insomnia or sleep disturbances, you can probably relate to going through the cycle of trial and disappointment. This also applies to other issues you might be navigating, such as hot flashes or sexual issues or pelvic floor dysfunction or pain in your body. For example's sake, let's say that you're dealing with sleep issues and you decide to try antidepressant medication, and perhaps your doctor recommended this as a first line of treatment, and it becomes clear very quickly that this isn't what's going to help you because your insomnia actually gets worse. So first, I want to talk about what you should do, which is to acknowledge, allow, and process the uncomfortable and negative feelings that are coming up around this outcome. Humans have four ways that they react to their negative emotions. And I talk about this in detail in episode 47 of my other podcast called the Infertility Stress Podcast. The episode is called Dealing with Painful Feelings, and I'll link that up in the show notes so you can find it easily. The summary of what we do with our negative or uncomfortable feelings is these four things that I'm going to explain now. So the first one is acting, which is when you kind of act out the feeling like punching a hole in a wall or yelling when you feel anger. The next one is avoiding, which is when you numb out on your drug of choice, which could be alcohol or cannabis or food or binging Netflix or overspending and online shopping, or maybe even overworking. And all of these behaviors that we do to avoid feeling our negative or uncomfortable feelings. The next one is resisting, which is When you push or shove your feelings down and pretend that they aren't there. I like to give the example of holding an inflated beach ball under the water. You can push it under so you can't see it, but it takes a lot of effort and the beach ball isn't actually going away. It's just under the surface. And as soon as you get tired or let up a little bit, or maybe something unexpected happens and makes you take your hand off the beach ball, even just for a second, it immediately flies up and smacks you in the face, probably with more force and intensity than when you originally came across it. That's like resisting our feelings. And then there's allowing, which is when you allow and feel and process your feelings. To continue with our beach ball metaphor, it's kind of like gently resting your hand on the beach ball, letting it be on the surface of the water beside you and allowing it to exist without having to shove it down or making it go away. I also want to explain what is not allowing. It's not toxic positivity, which can sound like, well, some have it worse, or just be grateful that it isn't worse, or that bad, or just think positive, or my favorite, which is if you stress out, it's gonna make it worse, so whatever you do, don't feel stress. We don't need to think of the silver lining. We don't need to make it a valuable lesson. We don't need to make it happening for a reason. We can acknowledge that it simply sucks, and it's hard, period. Period pretending that you're not frustrated or disappointed or hopeless doesn't make those feelings go away. It's actually normal and appropriate to have negative emotions when you get a different outcome than what you would hope for. So you might be thinking, well, that sounds reasonable and it makes sense, but how do I allow my feelings? Which, by the way, is very common and a normal response because no one teaches us how to allow and feel our feelings. In fact, as women, we're socialized to mute our emotions. It's seen as a bad thing to be too emotional or inconvenient or take up too much space with our feelings or our ideas or our bodies. So I'm going to tell you a very simplified way to begin to learn this skill, which is just to get curious and ask questions. You want to ask questions about what the feeling actually feels like in your body. Where am I feeling this in my body? Is it moving or is it static? Is there a thermal quality? Does it feel hot or cold? Is there a texture that I can assign to this feeling? Asking yourself these types of questions can help you move out of the resistance or avoidance and actually into experiencing the feelings. I have a little guided audio recording that I send to my clinical patients and coaching clients all the time to help them get started with feeling their feelings. And I'm happy to offer it to you too. You can find it in the perimenopause starter kit, which you can access for free. And that link is in the show notes too. Now I want to talk about what you should not do. And that is do not make this outcome mean that you did something wrong or that there's something wrong with you or that you should have known better, or that you've missed something, or that you're not smart enough to figure this out, or that you should have tried harder or done more or done something different, or that it's all on you to make this go a certain way. This is what I call using hindsight to beat yourself up. This causes unnecessary pain and suffering on top of the pain you're already experiencing, which by the way, as we discussed before, is normal and understandable and appropriate. Navigating human body stuff often is not straightforward and it usually involves a process that looks like taking two steps forward and one step back. That's the reality of having a body that's vulnerable to disease and dysfunction and general humanness. And it doesn't mean that you're fucking it all up or doing it wrong. It just means that you're in the middle of your process. All right, so to summarize, when something in your medical treatment process does not go the way you want, when your expectations don't match your reality, first, you want to acknowledge, allow, and process the negative feelings that come up because they are normal and appropriate. No toxic positivity here. And second, don't make this outcome mean that you're doing something wrong or that there's something wrong with you. All right, my friends, that's all I have for you today. Until next time, thanks for listening. Did you know that I'm a coach and clinician that helps women and people who cycle and menstruate make perimenopause the best thing that's ever happened to them? I deeply believe that you deserve to feel at home in your body, and I want to help you get there. If this resonates with you, let's work together. If you are a resident of Ontario, Canada, we can work together in a clinical setting, both virtually or in person, to help you find a unique and customized treatment plan to help you alleviate your perimenopausal symptoms and get you the relief you deserve using Chinese medicine. Or if you're looking for support with body image, confidence, advocating for yourself and seeking treatment, or just generally making your life as awesome as possible through this transition and beyond, I can help you anywhere in the world through coaching. To learn more about your options for working with me, head to michellecapital.com and click on work with me on the overhead menu. I can't wait to talk with you.